Hello there. Happy Valentine's week. I am sitting here trying to convince myself not to eat corn chips for lunch, so I think it's a much better option for me to record a podcast intro. Let's do this. Welcome to episode number 338 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell here with Corn Chips from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. Today, I am talking with author Rachel Hawkins. Now, you might know Rachel Hawkins' name from the Hex Hall series or the Rebel Bell series or the Royal series Or maybe you saw her recent announcement and squeed as loud as Elise and Carrie did when she announced that her next project would be rewriting Jane Eyre as a Southern Gothic feminist rage story. Either way, she and I have a lot to talk about. We discuss inventing boarding schools and populating them with random dudes in the background, piecing out after a bad breakup all the way across an ocean, and how she handles having so many ideas for books. We also talk about her Twitter threads of sexy history, what's coming next, and how she develops them. Plus, of course, we talk about what she's reading and what she's recommending. This week's podcast is brought to you by a podcast. This is so cool. I love this. Happy Galentine's Week from today's sponsor, Heaving Bosoms, a romance novel podcast. It's so good, you guys. Each week, two long-distance best friends, Aaron and Melody, do deep dive recaps of a different romance novel. If you love fangirling about your latest read with your best girlfriends, you will love listening to Aaron and Melody break down their favorite, and occasionally not-so-favorite, romance novels. Each episode comes with a heaping dose of unconditional friendship, sex and pleasure positivity, open-hearted feminism, and hilarious tangents. From Tessa Dare to Sally Thorne to Chuck Tingle, Aaron and Mel are tackling every kind of smooching book they can find, and they are always taking suggestions. They recommend starting with two favorite episodes, episode 41, The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang, or episode 39, Mastered by Her Mates by Grace Goodwin. Just don't listen around the kids because like your favorite books, these two can get a little explicit. You can find Heaving Bosoms on their website, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. They are the perfect Galentine's Week treat. Every episode of this podcast receives a transcript, which is hand compiled by Garlic Knitter, who is waiting for me to not eat corn chips and finish this episode. (laughs) So today's podcast transcript, thank you, Garlic Knitter, is sponsored by Summoned to 13th Grave by Dorinda Jones. If you like J.R. Ward or Janine Frost, you'll love this paranormal romp that tickles not only the funny bone, but other parts a little farther down as well. Charlie Davidson, Grim Reaper extraordinaire, is back after a century of exile. She is hurt, she is angry, and she is out for revenge. But a century on one plane isn't quite the same as it is on others, and she comes back to find a furious husband who can still melt the polar ice caps with a single glance, a world in chaos, and an expanding hell dimension that is taking over our own plane of existence. She has three days to stop an apocalypse that she may have accidentally started and to soothe the savage beast that is her blisteringly hot soulmate. Don't miss the last book in the series that RT Book Reviews calls wickedly funny with true chilling danger. Summoned to 13th Grave by Dorinda Jones is on sale now wherever books are sold. Find out more at dorindajones.com. This is the third take of me trying to do this segment because I really want corn chips, you guys. I just, I really want to have some. I can't explain it. All I can think about right now is corn chips. But 
If you have supported the show with a monthly pledge of any amount, thank you very, very much. You are helping me ensure that every episode receives a transcript and that I don't annoy the dickens out of you by eating corn chips into a microphone. Gosh, that would be awful. You are helping me keep the show going each month, each week, and each day that I do recordings. So thank you. You are also part of a community that is making every episode accessible to everyone. And I know many people read the transcripts rather than listen or do both at the same time. If you would like to join the Patreon community, it would be most excellent if you did. If you go to patreon.com slash smartbitches, monthly pledges start at a dollar a month and you will be part of the group who helps me develop questions and helps me pick which book to read for our quarterly podcast book club. And we will be announcing our first title soon because the Patreon community suggestions were completely awesome. You can join us at patreon.com slash smartbitches and I hope that you do. Now, I also have a compliment this week. It has nothing to do with corn chips. To Kate O, sometimes the way you tilt your head when you laugh makes everything 205% more funny, mostly because you make the people around you feel so happy and amused, and also because you're hilarious. If you would like a compliment of your very own, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. A handcrafted heartfelt compliment from yours truly is one of the reward tiers, and there are other things as well. So if you've had a look, thank you. And thank you to Kate O for being part of the Patreon community. I will have information after the show about what is coming up on Smart Pitches this coming week. We have some cool stuff happening. I will have information about the music that you are listening to. I will have links in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast to all of the things that we talk about. There are many. And of course, all of the books that we mention. Again, there are many. We are really expensive people to listen to. I know. And of course, I will have an absolutely horrific joke at the end. But I will not delay any longer. It is now time to talk with Rachel Hawkins. One of my favorite things that she says in this episode is that we're all unlikable heroines now. (laughs) I really love that statement a lot. All right, let's do this thing. On with the podcast. Hi, I'm Rachel Hawkins. I am the author of several young adult series, including the Hex Hall series, the Rebel Bell series, and the new Royal series, um, and I'm also the author of an upcoming adult suspense book called The Wife Upstairs. Yeah, I got questions about all of those things. <laughs> yeah, I, luckily I got answers. Dude, this is great. Okay, so could you please, this is the worst question to ask an author, I always feel so like, guilty, but like this is part of, I guess, this gotta, the author job. Have it. Right. Can you tell me, please, about your upcoming book, the sequel to Royals? Because when I saw the announcement, it was like a massive celebration of readers online responding to you going, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. (laughs) I know. I saw like one tweet to me that was like, that's right. It's over for you hetero bitches. And I'm like, oh, this makes me really happy. That's exactly the reaction I want from my gay princess romance. Uh, yeah, so the sequel to Royals, which now Royals is retitled Prince Charming uh, when it comes out in paperback, to better fit with the sequel, which is called Her Royal Highness. Um, we just really, really wanted to use that title. Like, it, it was the perfect title for to us for a book about, you know, a gay princess and girls falling in love. Like, it just sounded right. Mm-hmm. Um, but Royals didn't fit as well with it. So we were like, let's just reverse engineer this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Her Royal Highness is the sequel to Prince Charming, and it follows um, Princess Flora, who we meet in the first book, but sort of a minor character, and the American girl that she ends up rooming with at a very remote boarding school um, in Scotland. If you've seen 
the second season of the Netflix show The Crown. They send mm-hmm. Prince Charles off to that horrible Scottish boarding school where he hates everything. Um, totally based on that place. Um, I think it's Gordonston in real life, and I just called it Gregorston because that's how original I am. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, let's not, you know, let's not reinvent the wheel here. So yeah, and it's it's the first, um, you know, same-sex romance that I've written as like a main story. Um, and I was very excited to do that because I just thought like, we have so many stories about like, oops, I fell in love with a prince. I had no idea. And I just was kind of like, you know, I'd, I'd like to see girls who like girls also get that particular trope. Um, and that was just, that was really fun to work with. It seems like you had a lot of fun. It really was. It was like one of the most fun books that I think I've ever gotten to write. Although hilariously, um, when I turned in the first draft, or it was actually, it was like through a couple of edits. My editor was like, oh my God, you know, we forgot to at any point in this book mention that it's an all girls school, but there's this one boy going to the school because there's like this one male character that they interact with a lot. And I realized I was like, oh no, it's totally a co-ed school. I just forgot about boys. (laughs) This was just a very girly book. And I was like, so I literally invented like one boy in all of the universe. And so I had to go back and be like, oh no, no, there, there are more penises at this school. I just didn't feel like talking about them. So um, that was, that was a really funny thing. And everybody was like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. Then we'll just be sure that it's really clear that it's co-ed. So yeah. Fine. I'll add in some peens. Exactly. I was like, fine, fine. Here's a random background peen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm now imagining some outstanding gargoyles on the outside of this building now. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. So yeah, but that's I think why it was so fun to write. I was especially, you know, over the past year or so, because yeah, I was writing this in early 2018. Um, so it was, it was just nice to have like at least my fictional world that I spent all my day in. It was just like a very girly place. And that's where I wanted to exist for a few months. That must be one of the best parts of the way and the worlds that you write, you re- you write a whole world with a whole bunch of stuff going on with some very familiar tropes. And then you like to upend them. Right. Um, it must be really fun to hang out there. It is. It's really nice. Um, you know, the past two books have both been set in Scotland. Uh, my family and I really, really love Scotland. We go there just about every year. Um, I find it really inspiring for writing purposes. My husband's a geologist. So um, geology was basically invented in Scotland. So it's very cool for him. My kid's just happy to go anywhere. Um, right. And so it's really nice to get to spend time back there, even when I'm not there, if that makes sense. I feel like totally. I spend multiple hours of my day back in Scotland, which is just a very cool thing. It's definitely, to me, yeah, it's the best part of being a writer is that you do. You, you sort of live in two worlds all the time, as kind of cliche as that sounds. No, it's nice. It's a nice constructed imagination that you get to go hang out in for a little while. It's exactly. very fun. I mean, that's why I read. Right. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. So that's it's when, like escapism on two levels, which is nice. Right. And when you're cool enough to share your imagined world with readers, then, you know, we right. all win. Yay. Right. Exactly. So what are some of the things that you love about traveling to Scotland? Is it sort of a sense of, um, it, am I remembering correctly that you have Scottish ancestry or am I totally yeah. wrong? No, no, we do. Or I do. Um, 
And my husband has a little, but I mean, we're like those like extremely boring white people that our families have been here for, you know, hundreds of years. So we don't have like that kind of connection to it. Um, exactly. But at the same time, I'm like, there must be some sort of like DNA memory because we do, we just love it so much. Um, it's an interesting mix to me of familiar and relaxing while still feeling different enough. Also like, you know, I'm from Alabama. It's hot as Satan's armpit here all the time, basically. (laughs) And so, and we're all like very like fair skinned ginger people. So (laughs) this is not like, we can't go to the beach. We'll die. So like cold, cloudy climates are really good for us. So we can actually do like adventuresome outdoorsy things that we couldn't necessarily do like in Florida. Um, (laughs) And that's really nice. So I think that's part of it. Also like the, the history is so cool to me. Um, And this is like supremely dorky, but it's very on brand for a book podcast. Um, I really love book shopping over there because, you know, English language books, obviously, but different ones. And like their history section is so cool to me because obviously, like, I don't want to buy another book about George Washington, which seems to be all our history sections of like bookstores here. Whereas there, obviously, like the British history is going to be taking up the majority of that section. and that's so neat to me. So I, I love to go book shopping there. I love to sort of see what's selling over there. That's not like how horror seems to do so much better over there. Like they have big horror sections where I don't feel like as strong here. Um, mm-hmm. Different covers, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big book shopper while I'm over there. And yeah, it's just, it's fun, you know, and, and I, it's easy to get around, which is also nice. So it's like it's the perfect sort of combination of, um, like I said, exotic and different, but also familiar, and it's good for lazy people, which I clearly <laughs> am when I travel. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I can speak English, I'll be okay. I have no yeah. ear for languages whatsoever. I took like six years of French between high school and college, and I can speak none of it. So, um, so yeah, that's helpful. <laughs> so your books got new covers, and Royals got a new title. What was that process like and how did your readers react? I was trying to think if I can recall another sort of, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call it a major shift, but it's something of a pivot. Yeah, it's definitely like a rebrand. Yeah. Which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Um, what was that process like? Really great, actually. Um, one of the things that I really love about working with Penguin, Penguin is so good at like thinking outside the box and at sort of saying like, is this working the best that it absolutely could? Mm-hmm. Um when it came time to do the cover and the title for Her Royal Highness, again, a lot of what we did with sort of rebranding royals into Prince Charming with the new covers was in service of Her Royal Highness. Because the original cover of Royals is great. I love it. I think it's a really pretty color. Everything about it is good. Um, but it's not all that personal. And with Her Royal Highness, we definitely wanted to get across, like, this is a book about girls. These are girls in love. We want that representation on the cover. And the best way to do that, it seemed like, was to sort of retrofit that look to the original Royals book so that we have a new title and a new cover. Um, One of the things that I was really surprised about, people were really nice about it. I don't know if you know this, Sarah, but sometimes people on the Internet have opinions. What? I know. It's crazy. Um, and one of the opinions they sometimes really have is don't rejacket books. Like I like things to match and I totally get that. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I really didn't get any pushback on that. 
And I think it's because, um, again, Penguin did a great job with like that Royal Highness cover is so strong to me that we did that one sort of first and everybody was very excited about that. So then when like later that same day we were like, oh, and by the way, <laughs> cover and title for the first book, everybody was already like in a good mood, you know? So it was like, that was kind of, it was like a spoonful of sugar sort of situation. Um, so yeah, everybody was really, really cool about it. And I was really happy with it. I think that the new cover I love seeing Miles and Daisy on the new cover of Prince Charming. And I think it definitely gets across like this is a rom-com a little bit better. Um, I liked that it looked like some of the adult rom-com titles that are out right now. Cause I'm a big fan of all those books. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was really, really smart and I've been really happy with it. I've been very relieved that no one was mad at me over something that was kind <laughs> of out of my control. Right. Um, when you um, when you got the new cover for both Royals and well not no Royals yeah I her, know, wait Prince Charming, Prince Charming and her Royal Highness like now they sort of Prince Charming and her Royal Highness when you got the new covers were you like oh my gosh like did your heart just sort of like explode yeah I was so so thrilled with them I was especially thrilled with her Royal Highness because um, I just I thought it was so cute like and like they did such a good job of capturing the main character Millie what I imagined her looking like. Um, I had sent pictures of like actresses that I liked and like sort of the face that I sort of wanted, which if you look at the book, so like we're big Doctor Who fans uh, at my house. And I was really picturing like a younger Jenna Coleman, who now is like Victoria on Victoria. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> the titular role. Um, and like they did such a good job of like sort of capturing that general face shape. Um, so yeah, I was absolutely delighted with it. And I just like Flora blowing the kisses in her glasses. Like it's so cute. Um, and so I thought then too, the Prince Charming cover did such a good job of Miles and Daisy are so spiky and weird with each other. And that comes across on the cover in a really great way. So yeah, I was absolutely, and I've never had covers that really looked like these before. I've never had illustrated covers except for my middle grade stuff. Um, but that was really really neat to me yeah I'm I'm completely delighted with them. they are adorable I also love that the picture for her royal highness she's looking at the reader right exactly and I think that that's like you know Millie to me was such an interesting character to write because um Daisy in Prince Charming is so sassy and so kind of like over it and Millie is much more like interior mm-hmm. um and so I kind of loved that that like the reader can kind of connect with her immediately now. Like she's on the cover looking at you. Like you want to see what she's all about. So I thought that was such a smart choice. It reminds me a little bit of the uh, Velasquez painting, Las Meninas. Oh yeah. Which which is the way that it's set up. You can read it as Velasquez is painting you and you are one of the Royal couple because the reflection is across the room in the painting because they're having their portrait painted and you sort of step into the role of what's happening in that painting. When you look at her Royal Highness, you are potentially the person who's blowing kisses at Millie because you're reflected in her glasses. So you are already present in the story. Right. That's such a good point. Yeah. I think that that's such a, again, it was so smart. Like everything that they came up with, the general concept, um, I think is, yeah, it's smart. I'm going to say smart a lot because that's like my go-to word for penguin. That's, that's what they do. That's what they're so good at. 
I get it. No worries. It's a word that works. I also love that Millie is, I love that Millie is like, you know what? Peace out across the ocean. I'm out of here. Because I have done that and it is so liberating to be like, fuck this. I am out. Exactly. Like, nope, nope. I, uh, and I, like, we've all had um, breakups too that make us be like, I can never see this person again. (laughs) Like, yeah. I, I remember when I sort of split up with the guy that I was seeing in college like telling my friend that I was like, I feel so bad because it's like, I just sort of need him to not exist anymore. Like, I don't want him to die, yeah. obviously, but I just, I need him like zapped out of existence into the ether where I will never, ever have to see him again. Um, and so I think that that's kind of how Millie feels. That So she's like, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm going to school in Scotland and they're problem solved. <laughs> so I'll put an ocean between me and this thing I'm feeling, um, which, yeah, relatable, relatable for sure. It's something I think that everyone, like you said, everyone goes through this. You know, I just need you to not be part of my world at all. And at if all, that's yeah. not possible, I I'm going to exit. seeing you at Starbucks. Like, it's too yeah. much. I need so. a total reboot at this time. Complete right. reboot. I'm out. Right. Exactly. And travel is good for that. You know, that's. Oh, I've it's wonderful. I thought that that's like, that's always my instinct is like, what if I just ran away from this? How about it's very mature, obviously, but like, that's the fun thing in books, like, your teenage character really can't just run away from things. Um, Yep, I have like, you know, a kid and taxes and responsibilities. stuff, So I can't do that. But I can let other people do it for me. And it also, it also reflects what you said earlier about Scotland, that there's this old and this new when you peace out and run away, you are completely reinventing everything. You're going to redo your autopilot. You're going to redo your surroundings. You're going to have to figure out the very basics of what do you do every morning when you get up and go to where you go and find your coffee or find your food. Like everything is new, but you're still the same person and you bring your baggage with you and eventually exactly. it catches up. Exactly. Which is a fun thing to sort of play with. And that's, yes. um, that's and it's present, I think, in both Her Royal Highness and in Prince Charming. Um, one of the like super literature geeky uh, Easter eggs of these books is that um, there are tons of characters, Millie and Daisy included, who are all named after Henry James characters because um, I studied a lot of Henry James when I was in college and I liked that sort of, it's all like a lot of his stuff is about like American women who end up in England and oh wow, everything is bullshit. Like, and of course usually they get influenza and die or whatever. Uh, in this right. case, I decided to go a little more cheerful. So, so I <laughs> we all appreciate that. a little bit. Yeah, nobody wants like, what if you did like a Henry James retelling for YA? Like, nobody wants that. Um, uh, but so yeah, that's that's kind of what I was going for there, though, is this idea of these like modern girls, and of course, like Scotland is still very modern in lots of ways, but that they are being sort of thrown into a culture um, that they don't know anything about. And it's a little bit sink or swim. Like there's all yep. these sort of hidden rules and rituals and and stuff that does seem like complete nonsense, you know, especially to like modern people. They're like, it's dumb that you have to walk three steps behind someone or whatever. When um, I think too, like there's something very American about that. Like, no, I, I can't possibly do that. Um, and so that's very fun to play with. So yeah, that's, that's definitely there in the books this idea of like this is a very foreign situation in which to be and how do you start navigating that while still trying to be yourself 
one of my favorite things about traveling as an American is when I go anywhere, most of the time I am in a place that is much, much older than America. Yeah. And I get this sort of global sense of what a toddler we are culturally. Oh, yeah, completely. completely. Like, oh, is that old for you? That's adorable. Yeah. That's not old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, uh, we were in Rome a couple of years ago. And like, oh, yeah, shit so real old there. We were just like, holy shit, it's so old. This is so old. And that's like really old. And you know, my son didn't quite like get it. <laughs> so we kept being like, no, seriously, like thousands of years. And he was yeah. like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to go back to playing on my phone. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, I think that there's definitely that. That's sort of like new world, old world. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, and the class system is still like alive and well. I mean, it's alive and well everywhere. But like, especially with, um, you know, I read a lot of Tabler magazine when I was researching these books and Tabler is completely insane. Um, <laughs> I mean, like everyone should subscribe to it for a year just to really, I kept reading it and being like, are, are they fucking with me? Like, is, is this for real? Like when you're like elephant polo, I'm like, seriously, or is this like an elaborate joke that you guys are playing on posh people of Europe? But I'm pretty sure that it's relatively sincere. I mean, there's like articles that's like the best, you know, fanciest preschools to go ahead and enroll your unfertilized egg in. You know, you got to get on it now, lady. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's such a bizarre thing. Um, and yeah, again, all this sense of like tradition and ritual that is nonsensical, but also like very much still present, whether we like it or not. Oh, yeah. My favorite thing about Tatler is that their tagline is the original social media. That's beautiful. That's, that's <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of social media does thrive on that unspoken language. It does. It does. I always love looking in the back where it's just like random parties in some random place with random people that you're supposed to know. Like, and here's Lady Sylvia Mountbatten. And you're like, I have no idea who that is. Like, I follow this as well as I can. <laughs> No clue. Um, but Tadler expects that you should know. Oh, they're great. Yeah, and, and you have to become fluent in subtext to understand what they're actually saying. It's all oh, yeah. coded. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like they did this big article that I was completely obsessed with about some university that's out like in the Midlands or whatever. And their big program and their big draw is like a degree in land management. And you're like, oh, right, that's where you send, like, your baby dukes. Because it's like, well, you still own a shitload of England, so you better get a degree in how to manage it. Um, and they didn't, like, quite get into, like, that that's what that was. But it's like, why are there so many aristocrats going to this school and getting a degree in land management? Right, because they still own, like, a third of the country. So right. So that was, that was quite interesting. Um, my my personal favorite is mules fit for a man of the manor. Speaking of this, the shoes, not the animal. Right. Like there are some shoes on this website that are completely over the top. Oh God. And I want to see the dudes that wear them though. Like I want to know those guys wearing their mules. So in addition to reading Tatler, which I must presume is some outstanding research material, what were some of the challenges in inventing a royal family that exists among the current world of royals? And what were some things that you were like absolutely delighted to learn about? Oh, man, there was so much. Um, it's one of those great things where like I did a lot of research for these books, but also like it's just stuff that I'm naturally interested in and would have read mm -hmm. about anyway. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely 
hard in some cases to come up with sort of a fake royal family. And it was also like the most fun I've ever had. Um, <laughs> part of the problem is that I'm enough of a history nerd that I would get very hung up on things um, and be like, well, if, if that, then this, and then if that, then that, and that couldn't happen. And I literally have, I think, three, 400 years of fake history. Like in a notebook, I did this huge family tree. Um, starting with Mary Queen of Scots. And at one point, my publisher was like, hey, can we have some of the family tree for this fake royal family? And I was like, okay, so do you want the full 400 years? And they were like, hell no, we do not. <laughs> what is wrong with you? We want like three generations. Um, but I I mean, I have like professional like family tree software. I got so into it. But that was super fun. The One of the frustrating things has been though, people being like, I see that this is like Crown Prince of Scotland. Um, there is no Crown Prince of Scotland. And I'm like, bitch, do you think I don't know that? <laughs> like, of course <laughs> I know that. Trust me, go with me on this. I would never. Um, I've just invented an entire fake history where Scotland got to keep their own monarchy. Um, so yeah, that was, it was challenging though and trying to like work it into and be like, okay, so does the current British royal family still exist in this world? Like, is or William and Harry still hanging out down there, which I imply that they are. And yeah, there was, there was so much fun stuff to learn though. Um, there was all kinds of stuff that I learned that never made it into the book. One of my oh. favorite little, yeah, little factoids of history. And I'm probably, it's, it's one of those stories that it might be true. It might not, but I, in my heart, it's true that um, in the 1940s, the princess of Yugoslavia was giving birth in London and everybody kind of freaked out because she was going to give birth to the heir of Yugoslavia, but in a foreign country. And so allegedly, and of course she was in a hotel because it's 1940s and they're posh people. God forbid they go to a hospital. Um, so she's in like a fancy hotel like Claridge's or something like that. And I feel bad for housekeeping. <laughs> right. Right. Like, oh, dude. Uh, but no, but they don't get tipped enough for that. Um, no. And so allegedly, the like worst. The, the government briefly allowed that hotel room to be considered Yugoslavia. They were like, this is Yugoslavian <laughs> territory for the next like nine to 14 hours. So that the baby be born in Yugoslavia. That's again, a lot of people say that that's like just a legend or whatever, that that wasn't really how it went down. Although that baby was born in that hotel. Um, but in my heart, <laughs> that's true. And so I had a whole thing where like one of their ancestors, that was the deal with them. They were born in like in a Paris hotel room that had to be briefly ceded to Scotland. Um, so yeah, just like weird stuff like that. And you can get in a real rabbit hole, especially of like minor royalty and minor aristocracy. Um, Cause I feel like we know all the big stories about like the Windsors or whoever, but yeah, when you start getting into those sort of like, the royalty we don't know that much about uh it gets really weird really fast so that was super fun oh man and you also have to come up with the hooks to um anchor this world to reality but not so many that they start to conflict that's right. really hard yeah i always feel like it's one of those things where um it's always better for me to know a lot more than's actually on the page because I do think you can also like really bog people down. Like no one really cares that much about my fake history. I enjoy it, but like it's not that important to the story. And also I feel like it's one of those things where you're either going to 
go with the idea or you're not. My friend calls it eating the blanket. She's like, you've either got to eat the blanket or not. <laughs> I don't know why she says that, but it's a great way of looking at it. Like, either <laughs> accepted it or you haven't. Eat the blanket. Um, and so that's kind of how I felt about that. Like, you're either going to accept that, hey, Scotland's got its own royal family right now or you're not. Um, yeah. And if you're not, then cool. There are many other books for you to read. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was, it's like always like a balancing act, you know, of absolutely too much versus wait, why is this? Um, so yeah, that was, and again, I'm always going to err on the side, especially I think not that YA, necess- I mean, YA can be extremely detailed and very deep and all that, but I also do try to keep in mind that my readers are mostly here for the story and I don't want mm-hmm. to bog them down with anything, mm-hmm. sort of interfere with their enjoyment. It's got to keep moving. Exactly. Exactly. It's got to be super pacey. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a balance. And so I'm always like a less is more kind of gal. Yeah. So you just announced a Jane Eyre alternate universe with Southern Gothic feminist anger rage. Yes. That's, that's going to be the blurb. One of my reviewers, Elise said, quote, I want that book like right now. I want it so bad. It hurts. And when I mentioned to her that I was interviewing you today, she said, I need all the deets on that Southern Gothic right now. I'm prepared to wrestle people for that book. Good. Well, it's like halfway done on my computer right now, but one day when it's an actual book. Um, yeah, that is such an interesting project because um it came to me via alloy who do like um ip type stuff um you know work for hire they did like yeah. girl and you and all that kind of stuff um it came through to my agent um holly root who i just shout out and holly sent it to me and said you know i know that you've never done adult and you've never done a thriller and you've never done right for hire work but this just really sounds like your kind of thing. Do you want to, you know, send them some pages and see what they think? Um, and so I did because I it was that sort of thing. I was like, this is just now. When it came to me, it was it was very basic, like just modern Jane Eyre, you know. The except they're in a McMansion and Bertha is in the panic room. The McMansion, um, right? And so I wrote some pages and then ended up. They said yes, we would like you to write this book. And when I went up to New York to meet with them and we started talking about it, they were really, really open to me doing my own kind of thing with it. And one of the things, because I think like originally it was just sort of set in like, like a lot of those domestic suspense noir books, you know, it's like generic Connecticut. Everybody is very waspy, um, which is fun, but it's, that's not, you know, I don't, I don't really have any experience with generic Connecticut. <laughs> and I said, like, where are you from? And when I said Alabama, they said, well, do you want to set it there? And I said, hell yeah, because there's just such a, I I did, I thought that it was such an interesting way of marrying kind of modern Southern Gothic, but also, um, you know, there are certainly places in Alabama and specifically where I've set this book in Birmingham, where that same kind of like big little lies type dynamic is still very much going on. You know, I just don't think we see a huge amount of it. Um, so yeah, it, it's, and then when I started writing it, um, again, <laughs> I was writing it around the same time I was writing Her Royal Highness and given, you know, the general state of the world right now. 
it was very fun to like embrace um, female anger and both Jane and Bertha and Blanche Ingram, like, because I used a lot of the ladies from Jane Eyre, have a lot of reasons to be really pissed off. And, like, what does that look yeah. like? Um, so and they have to pretend that they're not. Right. They have to pretend all the time. And that's one of the things that I was interested in, in with this was not necessarily doing, like, a beat-for-beat beat retelling of Jane Eyre. But, like, right. what does the story of Jane Eyre look like told in the 21st century in this very specific place? Like, now what happens? Um and so, yeah, it was really, and that was one of the things that I found when I reread Jane Eyre. And then when I was doing my own take on it, I'm like, God, girlfriend is pissed. And like, she should be like, so that's been really fun to get into. Yeah. It's, it's a crazy, crazy book. And I love it with my whole heart. It's, it's the most fun to work on. Like every time I'm working on it, I giggle with glee basically. And you get to give the agency of rage to characters who weren't really allowed to fully express that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's why I said like, it's so interesting to look at like, what does like Jane Eyre, like that character, how does she look when she's, you know, 20 in 2018, 2019 or whatever, what does that look like? And, and it's like I said, it's really pissed off. Um, and also like really determined. Mm -hmm. So, and that sort of changed a lot of the, romantic aspects of the story um uh, yeah. i don't think a guy like edward rochester can be a romantic hero in the 21st century he's barely one in the 1800s uh, yeah he he just mm, yeah 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 so that's also but and also that's another thing like what does a guy like that look like now and sort of looking at um Oh, toxic masculinity and like privileged white men and like what do we let men get away with because they're, you know, decent looking and have a lot of money. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's definitely a very. It felt timely, like both just for like what's going on right now, and also for me personally. Like I said, that was just kind of the thing that I wanted to write right now. Um, I was joking with a friend about how. I don't want to read about anything but unlikable heroines right now because we're all unlikable heroines <laughs> at this particular yeah. moment in time. We sort of have to be. Um, and that's a very, very fun thing to explore, especially like through the lens of, of Jane Eyre, which does like loom so large um, in pop culture. And things. Yes. And it's still, it's still a story and a character that people want to talk about. There's, there's so much nuance to her as a character and as a person and also as a, as a, like an archetype. Oh yeah. People are still fascinated with her. Right. I mean, I think there's a reason like we keep doing retellings of it or different um, inter like movies and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. And it is, she's, it's a fascinating book and she's a fascinating character. Um, Cause I do think how interesting it is that, you know, at the end of the day in the original book, you know, that she, she picks Mr. Rochester. Like that is who she wants to be with. And you're like, that guy is fucked up. But like, that's the fucked up you chose, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's interesting. Um, you know, she could have Finjin, but nah, that guy's boring. And yep. yeah, that, there's a lot to unpack there. Especially about how you define heroism. Right. Right. Big time. 
how are you um how are you incorporating elements of southern gothic into this retelling is there something can you talk about that or is that too spoiler no no um a lot of because in a way it's not just a retelling of jane eyre it's also a retelling of white sargasso sea because we get into bertha's or it's b is her name into her backstory a lot. And that was really where the sort of Southern Gothic got to come in. Um, right. I love a good Southern Gothic. Dealing with the sort of backwardness and the occasional like toxicity of femininity in the South, um, which is still very much a thing. Yeah. And, and is something that I've definitely grown up witnessing. Um, the sort of like the girls' school culture, the sorority culture, that sort of thing sort of making that even like darker and more toxic while also like applying those sort of old Southern Gothic tropes of like the, you know, the family that used to have money and now not so much. And, and again, like what does that look like in the 21st century South as opposed to like the 1800s? Um, so that's kind of how I've like been adding. It's, it is a very like modern Southern Gothic, but like, yeah, what does Southern Gothic look like now? And it doesn't look yeah. quite like Flannery O'Connor anymore. No. I'm, I'm always fascinated by not updating, but re sort of spinning Southern Gothic. Cause I am um, quite Yankee, but I went to a Southern women's college in South Carolina. Okay. So, you know, and one of the benefits, right. Oh yeah. One of the benefits to going to a very small women's college in South Carolina is that I was exposed to an entirely different system of femininity and masculinity, Right. but also um, I was an English major. And so we didn't have to read dead white guys. I read a lot of Flannery. I read Eudora Welty. I read yeah. all of these different Southern writers. So I took a very deep dive into Southern Gothic as part of my English degree. Yeah. So when I see writers playing with it, I'm like, Oh, really? Tell me more. Yeah. Tell me all the things. Yeah. But then the problem is that gets to be too spoilery. So I'm always like, Oh crap. Yeah. How do I ask? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause it is, it's kind of hard to talk about without like giving away a lot of like her backstory and, and how she ends up being the person that she ends up being. Um, right, but it is, yeah, because there's there's yeah. something like so. I'm gonna get in trouble for this, but you don't have to edit it out. <laughs> um, there's still something like you know so bizarrely um, retro about so much of like how femininity is presented in the South, especially, and and I'm really thinking about like sororities and stuff like that. Which obviously sororities exist everywhere, but there's something very specifically weird to me um, about them down here. And and the pageant oh, yeah. culture, that the whole thing, it's very like performative femininity. Um, and there's a role assigned by gender that is just astonishing at how early it starts. Right, exactly. And it still feels like really solid here, which again, you're like, oh wow, it's like the twenty first century. We're still we're still doing this. We're still doing like the the like daddy dances and you know, all of that. Um okay. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I know. I'm, um, and yeah, so that's that's definitely something that's interesting to unpack in this book and to unpack via a character like uh, Bertha Rochester is yeah. particularly it's it's a lot of fun. But yeah, it's it's definitely there's some deep wells you can get into there. Um, there really is. Yeah, big time. So one of the hallmarks of your writing career is to take very familiar things like 
boarding school, magic, fantasy realms, royalty, and to twist them and update the tropes. Does your brain just wake up in the middle of the night and be like, how about we do this? Basically, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. I I love tropes for one thing. Like I oh. I am a tropey girl. And my favorite thing though is like, oh, is somebody really doing something different um, with that trope? That's what I'm always looking for. I'm always like, did you did you gender reverse it? Did you do something? Um, one of the the best books, best romance novels that I've read recently was Scarlet Peckham's The Duke I Tempted. And oh yes, oh so good. I loved the second one even more. But I thought the first one did this thing that I kept waiting for, which is that I kept sort of being like, why? Like, he's the Duke. He's got all the power in the world. But, you know, when it comes to the sexual relationship, he's the sub. And I'm like, yes, that's what I want to see. I want to see, like, that reversal where he's not necessarily, like, the billionaire who's also very dominant. Um, I love those kind of... And I thought that book in particular was so smart in the way that it handled their relationship, um, both in society and sexually, by flipping around yeah. trips in really cool ways. So yeah, I um, I I live to like come up with various scenarios of things. Anything that kind of takes my interest, I'm immediately like, oh, what if you did this and then you did this and then it went over here and you know, um, yeah. The thing that I've had to learn is that not every little spiral like that is necessarily a book, and that's okay. It's almost like doing exercises or something, you know, it's you're keeping your brain in its kind of book making shape, but you don't yeah. have to chase every rabbit um, that occurs to you. And that sometimes that it's just fun to think about. Right, right. And I'm very lucky in that um, one of my best friends, she's not a writer, but she loves doing that, too. That for her is like a fun creative exercise. And so sometimes we just send emails back and forth like basically ginning up stories that neither of us are ever going to write. <laughs> but like, <laughs> sort of, And that's really fun. I've compared it um, with her, especially I was like, it's like we're 40 years old, but we're playing Barbies. You know, it's that sort of, sort of like creative and like building on each other's ideas, but it's not, it doesn't have to go anywhere. It can just be for fun. Um, and that's been hugely, hugely helpful. And again, it sort of stopped me from, freaking out that every sort of story idea that I want to like daydream about or write down in a notebook somewhere needs to be a book. It just doesn't. Yeah, and it gives you more to think about on road trips. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's why I can't listen to like audiobooks or anything actually in the car because my brain always wanders. I can do podcasts. Okay. In the car or like at the gym or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But with books, I'm like, Oh no, for some reason, I'm always thinking of my own thing, like within five minutes. And then I'm like, oh shit, what's happened? Rewind. <laughs> yep. Something important happened in this book, I think. So you also publish on a semi-regular basis, Twitter threads of sexy history, history. which is terrific. Not only for the history and the, and the sexy, sexy times and the, let's talk about how really fucked up some of this history was, but your GIF game is a nuanced, outstanding enterprise. Thank uh, well played. Thank you. Dude. Yeah. It's, that's actually what's been really funny is that like we've had a couple of people come to me and my agent and be like, oh, we'd love to make this into a book. And we're always like, how though? Like if you don't have the gifs, like that's like part of <laughs> the humor of it is that. Right. So I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to make it a book. I'm sorry. It's a, it's like a multimedia performance art sort of thing that I'm doing here. 
Um, yeah, those are so much fun. I haven't done one in forever and I need to get back into it, but they take up like two hours of my morning at the time. And then I'm like, Oh, right. I should write books now. So, uh, <laughs> that's, I should probably do the stuff that people pay me. For. Um, they do take a lot of time. I imagine. A lot of time, Yeah. And the thing is, is that I don't plan them out before. I mean, I know what I'm going to talk about when I sit down to do it. But I don't like go necessarily searching for the gifs or anything like that because I feel like it works better if it's looser. Like it shouldn't be all sort of planned out. Um, I, I don't know. I think people kind of respond to that. I want it to feel like yeah. I'm just telling you a story and we're chatting. And so that means like sometimes I make mistakes or I call somebody by the wrong name or whatever. But that right. is the fun part of it. Um but yeah, but it also can feel very like there are times when I start it and it feels like you just like stepped on stage in your underwear a little bit. <laughs> You're like, oh, yes, okay, I can't find the GIF that I was going to use for this. Uh, okay, you know that. Oh crap! Yeah, but that's how I like to. That's like I like to keep it free and loose. Um, but yeah, they're super duper fun to do, and it was really surprising to me that like it kind of took off like it did, or that people would really like it because it just felt like to me it was like and here's yet another silly thing I'm doing on the internet for my own gratification um <laughs> which is like most of my internet experience. um but no what has been your favorite oh um I think probably actually the first one that I did about Owen Tudor because I one I really just hope that in doing that I will somehow have put into the universe that we need a 10-part Owen Tudor miniseries because we do um, and I also really liked doing the one about Margaret Tudor because I feel like Henry VIII gets so much ink, understandably, mm -hmm. you know, when you like start a yeah. new religion and execute wives and things. I get it. I get it. But his sisters were really fascinating people in their own right. Um, and they don't get nearly enough. Like, I, again, I'm like, why don't we have a, you know, Margaret miniseries? She went on to be Queen of Scotland. She got married like three or four times. She tried to turn a cannon on her own husband. Like <laughs> these are fascinating. As you things. do. Yeah. Yeah. As one does. Um, so yeah, that, that one was really fun. Too. They're, I mean, they're all a good time, but yeah, those are probably my two favorites. So basically you're writing the tattler of history on Twitter. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, letting you know all the scandals. What do you have planned for the next one or the next few? Or do you have any stories that you're earmarking for future sexy history? Yeah, I, it was funny because I feel like I was like, oh, I'm kind of running out of the things that I just know stuff naturally about. <laughs> like I'm going to have to right. really do some research now. Um, I was doing a special on the Wars of the Roses and I need to finish that for sure. Right. So that I can explain the Wars of the Roses to people because it's super complicated, uh, but can be kind of stripped down to like, here's why everyone was pissed. Uh, as is the case with most things in history, it's like there were too many dudes is what it comes down to. Like, as I like to right. say about the tangle of wangs, I'm like, that's what we have here. <laughs> Another history is just a vast tangle of wangs. And, and all of the wangs were mad that they were not the most important, most important one. Wang. Like, that's all they ever want to do. Um, so that and then I actually was reading just again for my own fun. Um, a sort of trashy book about the Grimaldis of Monaco. And I was like, you know, we talk a lot about Princess Grace because obviously, but man, like that's a really weird royal family. And they've been hanging out for like 700 years being weird. Um, and so I was like, yeah, we should for sure. I'm, I'm at some point going to get into, because the whole book um, it's by Anne Edwards and it's called the Grimaldis of Monaco. 
she just starts with like the the founding of that particular dynasty and follows it all the way through to Princess Grace. And um, but yeah, they had a lot going on, so I, I need to tackle that at some point. That, that that'll that'll be something. Yeah, because yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot, and they're in such a weird position, you know, of like they are a country, kind of, <laughs> and but like. France is always right there to be like, Hey guys, don't forget about us. Um, yep. and yeah, so that's, they're really, they're, they're hot messes, which is what I like. That's my favorite thing about all of history is like, who is the biggest hot mess? I want to yep. write about them. And there is a whole dynasty of hot mess. A whole dynasty of hot mess. 700 years. Of hot mess. And gambling and tuxedos and, and wealth. And, a, and yeah, yachts. a lot of money and illegitimate yeah, children everywhere. Holy smoke. So many. I mean, that's like part of like why, like, again, I need to, I'll save it for the sexy history, but I think it's Rainier's mother was illegitimate and like they were about to run out of heirs. So they were like, oh crap, let's take one of these bastard kids and like legitimize them so that we don't get swallowed into France and we keep having our own royal family. Um, right. And so that's like, that's crazy, obviously. That's kind of a, that feels like a very, um, like Daniel Steele, like old school Daniel Steele, like and the girl who's plucked from obscurity to go be the princess of Monaco. Like, I yep, love that. And that's a very familiar trope. Oh, totally, totally. You are secretly royalty, right? Which I mean, come on, that's the most fun. It's totally excellent wish fulfillment. Now on Instagram, um, anyone who follows you on Instagram gets a very high dosage of the recommended daily allowance of kitten pictures. How many cats? How many kittens have you fostered now? And how did you get started fostering kittens? And is this the greatest thing that's ever happened okay, to your bathroom? It's absolutely the greatest thing that's ever happened. Um, <laughs> the problem is we fostered four. And out of those four that we fostered, we adopted two of them. Rot row. Like 50%, which is not good. Like we can't. So actually, they saw you coming. No, yeah, exactly. So I was like, right now, we're taking a small break from fostering now that we've adopted those two. Because now we have five cats. That's um, all right. Listen, I've got two cats, two dogs, two boys, 13 and 11. I hear you. Nice. Yeah, exactly. So that was, I kind of said, I was like, look, we can have these two extra cats because we don't have a dog. So therefore, right. it's fun. I literally was like Googling, like, is five cats too many cats? Um, and the internet said it was not because we have four bedrooms no. in our house, so it's fine. Internet. Listen, I used to have four cats when we still lived in New Jersey. Yeah. I had two because I learned that you should adopt cats from the same litter in pairs because cats memorize the schedule. And if you deviate from the schedule or do anything to stress them out, they have their buddy and they are comforted and they are a lot less, exactly. you know, neurotic. Now everyone in my house is neurotic, right, so yeah, that didn't sense. work. But when I was when my kids were in elementary school. Um, one of the classmates of my older son, she and her sister came up to me with their mom and they were like, we heard you have cats. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, we, we want to adopt some cat, maybe, maybe one or two. And we wanted to ask you a question. And I was like, oh, well I have four. Yeah. And at that moment, their mother grabbed their hands and dragged them away from me. She's <laughs> like, no, not the crazy cat. Lady. No, we're not talking to her. <laughs> Like you should have seen their faces. They were like, oh, you can have four at the same time. I was like, and dogs too. <laughs> you can have all the cats you want. Oh yeah. Our, our house sitter document is literally called all about our zoo. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so you have lots of kittens. Yeah. So yeah, now we have, 
we adopted these two and yeah, they're, they're brothers, but they, and they came like when we fostered them, they came together. Um, they were so tiny. They were only about three weeks old when we got them. And, oh my gosh. That's and, so they had to be bottle fed. And it just turns out like when you bottle feed something, giving it back is very, very hard. <laughs> um, what? I know who knew that like wrapping them in little blankies, like babies and giving them bottles would make me really attached to them. Who could have ever foreseen? Um, but also like my husband got super attached and that was the problem. I was really the, the first two that we fostered, he was really like the stalwart about like, and we fostered, we give them back and, you know, um, and we sponsored their adoptions and things like that, but we couldn't keep them. And then we got these two boys, uh, Merlin and Bosworth and he, whose names were, they were originally click and clack, which is also cute, (laughs) but, um, but we went with, with Merlin. That's when we knew we were screwed too. When I was like, what if we called them, this one is Bosworth and it was all over. Um, and so, yeah, he suddenly was like, they're such sweet babies. I love these boys. And that's when it, yeah. Like if he had held out, I could have probably taken them back. It would have sucked and I would have cried like I did with the other two. But I would have made it. Um, but no, he folded like a cheap suit. So then it was over. Yeah, yeah. So now we have five cats. So it's all it's all John's fault, really. So, but yeah, they're great, though. They're like the, the sweetest, sweetest cats is the thing. And and again, because they were a pair, um, the idea that they could be adopted into separate homes really bummed me out because they love each other so much. Um, yeah. And our other cats, we have um, our two older ones, Nessie and Daenerys. They were a pair that we adopted or we found in a garage. Um, and then our other one, Zelda, she came to us because she was a stray. And uh, right. one of my husband's students found her and couldn't keep her. So she's like our old lady cat. She's probably about 12. Um, so, yeah, it's we're one very fur-covered family. <laughs> now, no one can ever wear black ever again. But when you buy the... Uh the masking tape linty rolls yeah. at Costco, yeah. you do okay. There you go. Exactly. That's a good idea. That's, and, now and I will tell you, a panty liner or a maxi pad adhesive will work in a pinch. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's a good idea. All right. So I have two questions that came to me after I sent you the questions. Okay. One is an easy one from Amanda, um, who who is part of Smart Bitches okay. HQ. She says, first of all, thank you for Hex Hall. Oh, I love that series. And her question was, do your readers have a favorite? Of your books. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, one of the things that I sort of figured out, like I've obviously got readers that have been following me since Hex Hall and have read everything, right. which is excellent. But the the series definitely, like the different series kind of attract their own fans. Um, so I feel like probably like more people like Hex Hall than anything else just because that was kind of the first one. And right. now, which is bizarre to me, so it'll, let's see, it came out in 2010. So now I'm running into like what seemed to me to be like adult women being like, you were my favorite author in middle school. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? What? No, 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 no. That was not that long ago. What are you saying? Um, so I think it sort of has that. And it, it's had some like nice staying power, which I appreciate. But then the people who love Rebel Bell are really passionate about it. But those books are so weird. And so I really love that like the people who are very into them are very into them. They kind of get what I was doing there. Um, so yeah, I would say like Hex Hall is probably like my reader's favorite. It's the one I still hear the most about. It's the one that I occasionally still get people being like, are you ever going to write any more of them? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Probably that one. 
What are you reading right now that you want to tell people about? What am I reading right now? Um, okay, so I just got very into the Serena Bowen um, True North books, the like apple orchard romances. Right. <laughs> I'm apparently, I find like those kind of like small town series romances extremely um, comforting. Yep. So I also, and, and I saw like one of her books had like the hero was like a 23 year old virgin who'd been kicked out of like a polygamous cult when he was a teenager. And I was immediately like, I don't know what it says about me, but I have to have that book in my face immediately. Like that's, I want to read that kind of romance. And so that led me to all of those and they're great. Um, I'm also, I'm actually rereading a history book that I love called Blood Sisters by Sarah Gristwood. And it is about the women of the Wars of the Roses. Um, Sarah Gristwood in general is probably one of my favorite history writers because she always looks at the women of a certain period. She's got another great book called Game of Queens. And um, she did a great biography of Arabella Stewart, who was cousin to Queen Elizabeth, and who I did a sexy history about once. So I'm really loving that. And I just started reading, um, I keep joking that because of the new adult book that I'm like, well, now that I'm a thriller writer, like that's my, I've said it like nine times to different people. So I've been reading a lot more thrillers. Um, and there's a really good one called Girls Night Out by Liz Fenton and Lisa Stein. And it's like a girl's vacation in Mexico gone very, very wrong. I love it. Yeah, we know a lot of different stuff. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. I want to thank Rachel Hawkins for hanging out and chatting with me. If you would like to find her on the internet, I have links to all of the places that you can do so. You can find her on Twitter at Lady Hawkins, on Instagram at Lady Hawkins, and on Tumblr at The Real Lady Hawkins. And when she has a website, I will link to that as well. And if you would like to ask questions or suggest guests or you have thoughts on this episode, I want to hear them. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or you can leave a message at 1-201-371-3272. Tell me what you're thinking about. Ask questions or tell me a terrible joke because you know that I love them. Either way, I love hearing from you and I hope that if you have something to say, you will get in touch. This week's podcast sponsor would like to wish you a happy Galentine's week. Heaving Bosoms, a romance novel podcast, is bringing you this week's episode. Each week, two long-distance best friends, Aaron and Melody, do deep-dive recaps of a different romance novel. If you love fangirling over your favorite latest read with your best girlfriends, you will love listening to Aaron and Melody break down their favorite and occasionally not-so-favorite romance novels. Each episode comes with a heaping dose of unconditional friendship, sex, and pleasure positivity, open-hearted feminism, and hilarious tangents. From Tessa Dare to Sally Thorne to Chuck Tangle, Aaron and Mel are tackling every kind of smooching book they can find, and they're always taking suggestions. They recommend starting with two favorite episodes, episode 41, The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang, or episode 39, Mastered by Her Mates by Grace Goodwin. Just don't listen around the kids because like your favorite books, these two can get a little explicit. You can find Heaving Bosoms on their website, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. They are the perfect Galentine's Week treat. This week's podcast transcript is brought to you by Summoned to 13th Grave by Dorinda Jones. 
If you like J.R. Ward or Janine Frost, you will love this paranormal romp that tickles not only the funny bone, but parts a little farther down as well. Charlie Davidson, Grim Reaper extraordinaire, is back after a century of exile. She is hurt, she is angry, and she is out for revenge. But a century on one plane is not the same as it is on others. She comes back to find a furious husband who can still melt the polar ice caps with a single glance, a world in chaos, and an expanding hell dimension that is taking over our own plane of existence. She has three days to stop an apocalypse that she may have accidentally caused and to soothe the savage beast that is her blisteringly hot soulmate. Don't miss the latest book in the series that RT Book Reviews calls Wickedly Funny with True Chilling Danger. Summoned to 13th Grave by Dorinda Jones is on sale now wherever books are sold. Find out more at DorindaJones.com. If you have supported the show on our Patreon, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing so. I really appreciate that. You can have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches if you would like to have a look at the levels and rewards. Monthly pledges start at a dollar a month, and everyone who pledges is part of the Patreon community, and they help me develop questions for interviews, suggest guests, and help us decide which book to read for our quarterly podcast book club. We will be announcing our first title very soon, so if you would like to hop in on the fun, patreon.com slash smartbitches. Thank you for helping me keep the podcast going. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is the Pete Bog Fairies. This is their album, Black House, and this particular song is called Strictly Sambuca. I think that that is as good a decision as having corn chips for lunch. You can find the Pete Bog Fairies and all of their albums at Amazon and iTunes or wherever you buy your music. Coming up this week on Smart Bitches, we have many, many things, so many things. Here are some of the things because I love to tell you how much fun we have coming up with our schedule each week. Saturday the 16th, we have Hide Your Wallet Part 2, or what Amanda calls Word on the Street. That is when we talk about books that we've heard about recently, and we also talk about new releases or upcoming titles that we've learned about this past month. We have a new discussion question on Sunday. I would really like to know where you hang out online other than at Smart Pitches. It's a very easy survey, and I thank you in advance for telling me where you like to be. And on Monday, get ready. We have a big giveaway on Monday. I'm very excited about this. Avon is giving away two tickets to their Chicago KissCon, and we have all the details on the site so you can enter to win. Plus, we have reviews, a new rec league, a bachelor recap from Elise, books on sale, help a bitch out. It's all kinds of fun. So I hope you'll stop by and say hello. I will have links to everything we talked about, especially to sexy history and to all of the books that were mentioned as well. And as always, I end with a terrible joke and this one's really bad. I love it. Love it so much. Okay. Serious face. Why do dogs float in water? Why do dogs float in water? Because they're good boys. <laughs> Who's a good boy? I actually have good boys on my carpet right now. Now they're looking at me like, why didn't you give me a treat? They're good boys. <laughs> that is from Borda922. Ah, so lovely. I love a bad joke. And I love when you send them to me. So thank you in advance for doing so. On behalf of Rachel Hawkins and everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend. And we will see you back here next week. <laughs>